Welcome to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, a program designed to educate and inspire listeners throughout Indian country. American Indian and Alaska Native Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he is here today to help you learn more about your health. Here is Dr. DeRose. It is so good to have you with us on today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we've got a show lined up that will connect you with someone that I've been very excited to know over the years. Her name is Lucia Tiffany. She is doing some exciting stuff with pulling together health experts from throughout the world, putting together master classes. Lucia, it is so great to have you on today's broadcast with me. Thank you so much, Dr. DeRose. It's an honor to be here. Lucia, some folks know you. They've jumped on. They they may uh, tune into other stuff we've done. They've seen some of the work that you've done. But for those who have no idea who Lucia Tiffany is, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, I'll be happy to do that. I have been working helping people with health since I was a little girl. You know, my parents got interested in healthy lifestyles about the time I was born. They became vegetarians way before it was a popular thing to do. And so I grew up always hearing about the importance of our choices and what their impact would be on our health. And by the time I was around nine years old, I was helping my parents actually do community education classes where we would talk about good nutrition. My dad would do lectures. My mother would demonstrate the food. And she had me helping her with that. And I think the first recipe I did was granola. And I still remember doing that. But it was so easy, you know, even a kid couldn't mess it up. So that was kind of how I got started. Uh, I was been always interested in that area, so I eventually became a nurse, got a master's in public health, and I love working cross-culturally. My husband and I spent six years in West Africa, where we had to learn to speak French, and we worked with a culture very different from either one of ours, and I really, really enjoy doing that kind of work. So I still do health education work in a variety of languages, sometimes Spanish, sometimes French, but most of the time English. And that kind of, I guess, brings me to where we are now. And I've started doing coaching diabetes reversal for people that want to reverse prediabetes, metabolic syndrome, and type 2 diabetes. So that's kind of just brought me into a lot of new opportunities and ways to uh, communicate this with people. This is just really uh, exciting stuff that you're sharing with us. And we really appreciate uh, this introduction to getting to know you, Lucia. One of the things that to me is so exciting about what you're doing is you have been working with people throughout the world, really, as far as pulling together these master classes. I know you graciously invited me to take part in one of them not all that long ago. Tell us a little bit about your vision for these classes, what you've been doing, and where things are headed from here. Oh, that's a great question. What I've been doing is about once a quarter, getting together a panel of experts around the large topic of diabetes reversal through lifestyle. And then every time I do either a summit or a master class, depending on the event, it might have one name or the other, and bring together a panel of experts in a particular sub area of diabetes reversal. Like we've done one about the myths around diabetes. Like so many doctors even today tell their patients, like I have a lot of clients come to me and say, well, my doctor said I have to be on this medicine for the rest of my life. 
So we've done like a whole series on the reversibility of diabetes. We've done another one where we looked at how can health professionals use lifestyle in their practice or with their clients. Uh, currently running one around optimizing weight loss and metabolism because that is a, a very important area for diabetics. We have one coming up in February where we're going to be looking at anxiety, depression, prevention of Alzheimer's, kind of all those mental health issues at a time of year when I believe a lot of people are needing that kind of support. So that's kind of what we have lined up for those things. Now, it is so exciting that you have this vision, Lucia, and that you're not just in the classroom, if you will, talking to people who can actually attend your events uh, physically, but you've you know embraced this whole virtual environment and you're doing things that people can take part in no matter where they are. I also appreciate that you have a real interest in what we call translational medicine. So a lot of folks, if they're not familiar with that term, we're doing all kinds of research in the world. And I say we, I haven't uh, contributed a huge amount to the world research literature. I've published some. But, you know, the deal is all kinds of research coming out, all kinds of great stuff, but often it's not translated into practical day-to-day living. I know that's a special interest you've had, and I know as you've worked with people, you've had a special interest in some of the challenges that people face when it comes to making lifestyle changes. Tell us why that's so close to your heart, Lucia. Well, you know, I've worked like for decades now helping people to understand how their bodies work and then make different choices in their lifestyle based on their understanding. But many times people get the understanding and they're like, they know, oh, this would be a better choice for me to put on my plate, for example, than what I've been doing. But when they go forward and try to do that, they find that sometimes there's a lot of obstacles that pop up that get in their way of actually implementing these things on a practical level. So that kind of got me started looking at what can we really do to help support people that want to make changes. Maybe they have some really good knowledge already, but the mechanisms of that seem to escape them. How can we help support them so they can be successful in that? Well, let's make it real practical. So we're speaking especially to people throughout Indian country. And let's talk to a a woman. Let's say she's in her uh, early 60s. She um, was uh, living during that unfortunate era where she was maybe forcibly removed to a, a boarding school where she was told uh, she couldn't speak her native language. She was disconnected from her culture. Maybe she ended up um, becoming very successful uh, in the eyes of the world, uh, professional degrees and things, uh, living maybe in an urban area. And now um, she's transitioned. She's back uh, living on maybe the reservation where her family was for some generations And she says, you know, my health isn't that good. I think if I connected with some of the values of my ancestors, maybe eating more of those whole uh, plant foods that they thrived on. And uh, yet, I mean, she doesn't really like that stuff. I mean, she didn't grow up eating those indigenous foods. Talk to a person like that. They want to make those dietary changes. They're an intelligent person. They have, you know, educational background. They know those foods are healthier, but they you know, grew up eating the fast foods and the restaurant foods. What do you do to help someone like that? You know, that's a great question. And it's actually a multi-step process because we often want to jump into that stage of how do I eat more vegetables or whatever that thing is, right? When we need to back up a little bit, 
because our behaviors are actually driven, like the motivation, the energy for us to choose any kind of behavior, whatever it is we're putting on your our plate, for example, that comes, the energy of that comes from our emotions. And so in the reality of things, it is our emotions that are often the energizing motivation behind our choices. And so many people have grown up. I mean, we are in a society where emotions are prioritized. They're of very high importance. And we say, oh, you know, if it feels good, do it. Uh, that's kind of been like a message that's been out there. And yet we weren't created. We weren't designed to operate that way because the actual truth is that our thoughts are what control our emotions. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. when we feel like our emotions are not lining up or serving us well with our good choices, we really need to dig a little deeper and go back to our thoughts. And that's kind of where I start. Okay, well, there's a lot of folks that are tuning in, Lucia, and they're saying, okay, I'm hearing this. It's interesting. It's relevant to me because I've got to make some changes. Maybe they were just in a physician's office and they said, hey, you need to do X, Y, and Z or you're going to have full-blown diabetes. You have pre-diabetes right now. You need to start exercising, eating better, maybe losing a few pounds. Whatever messaging they've got, I often find that in typical medical encounters, people often don't get the step-by-step -step instruction. They don't get someone to work with them. And to me, it's ironic and sad as well that a doctor will see a patient and three months later after seeing them say, well, why didn't you lose weight? I told you to lose weight three months ago. And I'm thinking, eh, it takes a little bit more than just telling someone to lose weight, right? So help us through this process. Where do the emotions fit in and what can we do to get our emotions going in the right direction? Okay. So I think the first thing that I, it's so important for every one of us to truly understand is that how we think matters. You know, one of my favorite books on whole person health is called Ministry of Healing. And there I find a very interesting thought that I'd like to share with you just to kind of chew on and maybe be a bit of a jumping off point for this discussion. And it says the power of the will is not valued as it should be. Let the will be kept awake and rightly directed, and it will impart energy to the whole being and will be a wonderful aid in the maintenance of health. And since that's what we're talking about, I think it's really important to look at this whole area of the power of the will. A lot of times we just call that willpower. Willpower to me is interesting, Lucia, and I, I don't know if this is where you're going with this, but, you know, you'll meet someone who has incredible willpower, maybe academically or maybe uh, as far as, uh, you know, some indigenous crafts. Maybe it's someone on a reservation who can just work, can weave for hours and hours, and you'd say how disciplined they are. Maybe it's someone who's very disciplined as an athlete. But then you look at some other area in their life, and they seem to have no willpower, so uh, how is it so situation-specific? You know, that that's really interesting. But I think we have to dig into what willpower is, where do we get it, how do we use it, to really understand the answer to that question. Because I think, first of all, we need to understand that the willpower is actually the power of choice. That's something that every one of us as human beings have been given from our creator. And it's actually like the deciding power 
it's what works in our lives to actually determine the direction that we go in the big picture. But there's also a lot of research that's been done around this area of willpower. A couple of prominent researchers in this area of psychology are doctors Baumeister and Tierney. And they've published some very interesting work in the study of willpower, how it works, how to maximize it. Um, and I think that understanding those concepts can help us to understand the question that you ask. And so maybe we need to go into that a little bit more and then come back to understanding the answer to that question. Well, let's do it. So you talk about research. What have we learned? What are practical things that someone listening today can say, hey, I can do this and this is going to help me? Okay. So there's some things that we know for sure about willpower that have come out of a number of different experiments, hundreds and thousands of experiments, actually. But one of those concepts is the fact that willpower is finite. We don't have an infinite quantity of it, and we actually deplete it as we use it. Mm. So we have more willpower, for example, in the morning at the beginning of the day than we do at the end of the day. And we call this change in willpower quantity ego depletion. That's just the term that the scientists have given it. And ego depletion is seen, for example, say you're getting married. Uh, something that a lot of people do today when they're getting married is they go to a wedding or like a household store, say Bed Bath & Beyond, and they have a wedding registry. And you get to pick what kinds of pots, what kinds of dishes, linens, silverware, kitchen gadgets you want people to know you would like to furnish your household with. Um, I, I, I was reading the experience of a, a girl that had gone through that process and she said, you know, this is quite an intense process that involves a lot of decision making, a lot of choices. She said, by the time I was done with about three hours of choosing the type of pot, the color of linens, the all of these things for the registry, she says, I could hardly think anymore. Wow, this is coming close to home. And I think people are relating to this, whether they've gotten married recently or not. But we want to try to give you tools, if you're tuning in today to American Indian and Alaska Native Living, tools to help you increase your willpower and increase your success when it comes to making changes in your lifestyle, changes that you have wanted to make but you're just looking for those resources. Lucia Tiffany is going to help us more on that journey. You want to stay tuned. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be back with more right after these important messages. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please reach out to us on the web at A-I-A-N-L dot O-R-G. That stands for American Indian Alaska Native Living. Again, A-I-A-N-L dot org. Or you can call us at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid. But there is hope. Reach out to someone. Connect with your friends. Stay in touch with your community. And know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com slash hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. 
When Jim died, I wondered if I would be able to keep the farm. Then I heard about the USDA's loan program for socially disadvantaged farmers and ranchers. It's for women and minorities who may be having trouble getting credit. Once I was approved, the USDA's Farm Service Agency helped me get the credit I needed. Now I don't have to sell, and I can pass the farm down to my kids the way Jim's dad passed it down to him. I know he'd like that. Contact your local USDA Service Center or visit www.fsa.usda.gov. Social Security is with you through life's journey from birth to retirement. As your life changes year to year, so do your needs. For over 80 years, Social Security has helped to meet your needs and is committed to improving access to the services that make a difference in your life. Today, you can verify your earnings, estimate your future benefits, apply for retirement, manage your benefits, and even change your address all from the comfort of your home. Social Security's online services help put you in control with secure access to your information anytime, anywhere, allowing you to spend more time with family, friends, or simply just enjoying the day. Social Security, securing today and tomorrow. See what you can do online at socialsecurity.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Lucia Tiffany, a registered nurse, master's in public health, expert. She is helping us to better understand what we can do differently to gain success when it comes to making lifestyle changes. Lucia, you were speaking to us about willpower, sharing this idea that it's a finite commodity. You mentioned a term that had to do with something that sounded uh, perhaps to some people uh, like maybe going back to Freud, you mentioned ego and something to do with this. What was the term you mentioned, and why is it significant for us to understand? Well, the researchers coined the term ego depletion. It was kind of a head nod over to Freud, even though it's not really completely based on his theories. But ego depletion is the idea that your ability to make decisions and make choices is depleted as you use it up during a day's worth of activities. And as they looked into that, they found that there's a particular part of the brain called the anterior cingulate cortex. You don't have to know that. But this part of the brain is really critical for self-control. It is this part of the brain, for example, that um, is in charge of error detection. Say you have a Reggie burger in one hand and you have your cell phone in the other. Maybe you get distracted and you start to take a bite out of your cell phone. This is the part of your brain that says, oops, wrong hand, use the other hand to get a bite of your sandwich. Well, what happens as we make more and more choices or decisions throughout the day, which we all do. In fact, I just heard a number yesterday where they say they think a normal human, average human, makes about 35,000 decisions a day. Wow. And that as that happens, the work of this part of your brain slows down. So you have less self-control, which is why when people get towards the end of a day, when they, especially if they've spent a lot of that day in mental activity, having to make a lot of decisions, they're more apt to be cranky or irritable. 
So that's not the best time, for example. So understanding this ego depletion idea means that if you have a big decision to make or an important relationship time to like be with someone, that the later part of the day when your ego is depleted is not the best time of the day to do that. Hmm. And it's also the time of the day when you're less likely to follow through, for example, on that new habit you were trying to implement. It's harder because you have less willpower at that time. So basically the plan to uh, start your new exercise program and do it every day after work may be a more challenging goal than if you were to say, I'm going to exercise every day before work. Is that one application of this? That would be one. But another one is the understanding that our emotions are amplified when our willpower is diminished. In other words, if we're happy, we tend to be actually, we could be happier. But if we're sad or feeling really stressed or anxious, that feeling is also intensified. So if we tune into our bodies and notice if we feel like we're maybe, some people might say overreacting to a situation, that could be a sign that we're experiencing ego depletion. So we need to be aware of that so that if, for example, we have something we're trying to implement as part of a new habit that's later in the day, we need to be aware of what's going on so that we can actually override it with choice. But even the override can get tired. There's another area that I think is really interesting, and that has to do with addictions. So do you want to just so we just take a couple minutes on that? Oh, I mean, I think this is tremendous. So if I were to look at my patients over the years, I would say probably the greatest angst, the greatest challenges they faced have been things that had an addictive element. So help us to understand how that fits into the whole equation, Lucia. Okay, so you need to understand that ego depletion not only intensifies your feelings, but one of those things that it intensifies are cravings related to addiction. Mm. So it's kind of a double whammy when you're experiencing ego depletion. Your willpower is diminished, but your cravings feel stronger. So uh, there was a British humorist that Baumeister quoted that I thought was kind of interesting. And uh, he described sometime some of this conflicting emotion that people experience as, for example, they're trying to stop an addiction. And it also explains why they often feel very weird um, in that time when they're just coming off of an addictive substance or food or behavior. And it's because they're experiencing ego depletion. And this British humorist put it this way. He was like, I have given up smoking again. He announced this. He says, I feel fit, homicidal, but fit, a different mm. man, irritable, moody, depressed, rude, nervy, perhaps, but the lungs are fine. And, and it's that conflict that can get set up that can trip people up when they're trying to stop an addiction. So I think it's important to understand this. And the flip side of it is then, how do we keep ourselves from getting into the state of ego depletion, right? Well, that's exactly the question that's going through my mind. I mean, if, if it just is inevitable that the further you go through the day, I mean, maybe we all should go to bed at 6 p.m. <laughs> well, here's here's the thing. The key, one of the keys, I should say, there's several we think we're going to talk about, but one of the keys is making habits around the things that are high priority for you in your life. Hmm. Because habits mean that you have established a pathway in your brain that your brain can go down without very much energy at all. So instead of having like a brand new decision to make every time you open the fridge, if everything in the fridge is healthy food, for example, 
it puts you in a position where you don't have to worry about making a choice between junk food and good food. And, and you can actually have a habit. Like, you you know that every time you open the fridge, it's just going to be healthy food choices. And so it's easier then to make a good choice because there's very little effort involved. So anything that decreases the effort involved around your good choice is going to help you because it won't deplete your ego as quickly or as easily. So a real key to sustained good habit formation is closely related to putting those habits into place because they can serve brain power. Okay, so a lot of people say, hey, I'm a creature of habit. This is why I have problems. But you're flipping that, Lucia. You're saying, well, get habits to work for you. Develop good habits. And uh, those things can be assets as far as your lifestyle uh, goals throughout your life, right? Yes, because that's a very important way to conserve your willpower. So the fewer decisions you force yourself to make in a day, that conserves willpower. Some of you might remember Steve Jobs, who always wore the same thing. In fact, it was said that in his closet, he had 28 shirts and 28 pants. They were all the same color, all the same style. He never had to worry about what he was going to wear when he got up in the mm -hmm. morning. But it conserved his mental energy for other things. And so routine and habits are, are really huge. But there's another aspect that really affects our level of willpower, and that is energy. So our body gets energy from glucose, and our brain especially runs on the energy produced by glucose. How much glucose we have in our blood, then, has a lot to do with how much willpower we can exert. And there were some really interesting experiments. For example, they found that a majority of juvenile delinquents had low blood sugar when they were taken into custody. Hmm. Low blood sugar means the brain isn't getting the energy it needs to exercise willpower. So delinquent behavior became a higher risk behavior as willpower was depleted through low blood sugars. So that kind of points to the importance for me that having a balanced diet with regular meal times where you don't experience what many Americans on the standard American diet experience, which is low blood sugar in the middle of the morning after a small refined and processed breakfast. So it would decrease their willpower about that time, which is why so many people take a break, get a snack, get a cup of coffee. It's an endeavor to bring that energy level back up. Whereas if we make better choices, we can put foods on our plate at breakfast that will carry us to lunch without that low. So let me see if I understand you correctly. What I hear you describing is a typical person who is making choices that really destine their blood sugar to be kind of a roller coaster throughout the day. They'll eat enough to get their sugar up, but then it's bottoming out maybe, what, an hour or two later. So what kind of foods, what kind of choices might we want to make, say, first thing in the morning or at breakfast time that will help us to have that sustained blood sugar? Great question. To have good blood sugar control, you want to have enough calories at breakfast. So you want enough quantity of breakfast to carry you through to lunch. And then you want the things on your plate to give you a slow release of glucose, not just a sudden spike. So we're looking at things like whole or intact grains, maybe a half a cup or three quarters of a cup of some kind of a bean, lentil, chickpea, um, having some nuts and seeds. Don't need a lot, but a few nuts and seeds at breakfast can help us to keep that energy level steady 
till just before lunch. It's okay to be hungry in the half hour before lunchtime, but it will help us to avoid those dips. And those dips are often a reaction to highs. Those highs come, for example, with the glass of orange juice, the donut, the pastry. Those will give you a very quick high, but it's often followed by a reflex because your pancreas says, oops, there's a lot of sugar hitting now. I got to put out a lot of insulin and it will mm. overshoot the target and induce below normal blood sugar. Very, very practical stuff. Lucia Tiffany is sharing with us things that can help you be more successful as you go throughout your day. You're trying to accomplish more. You're trying to develop better habits. You're trying to make better choices. And you can do that if you keep your blood sugar more stable. Lucia, I know you've got a lot more pointers, a lot more tricks and tips. We want to cover those in the second half of our show today. Lucia's not going away. I encourage you to do the same. Stay tuned. We've got more coming up on today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. I'm Dr. DeRose. More right after this. American Indian and Alaska Native Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please contact us on the web at AIANL.org or call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. A message from the National Police Association. It used to be that any able-bodied person would offer to assist a police officer in danger. Now, passers-by are more likely to take a video. There's a better use for your phone when an officer's in trouble. Call 911. Tell the operator where you are and what you see. Then, start your video to provide evidence later. To learn more about how you can assist law enforcement, visit nationalpolice.org. That's nationalpolice.org. Unlike other health concerns, mental illness is not always easy to see. Depression won't show up on an eye chart, and you can't measure it on your bathroom scale. Sorting out a mental health concern is not something to attempt on your own. You won't find a bipolar disorder by looking at a thermometer. Like many other health conditions, help for mental illness takes professional diagnosis and treatment. Anxiety won't just go away under a stick-on bandage. So the sooner you seek treatment, the better. If you or a loved one has a mental health concern, don't go it alone. Find out what to do. For 24-hour free and confidential information and treatment referral, call 1-800-662-HELP. Learn more at samhsa.gov support. That's S-A-M-H-S-A slash support. Using meth taught me everything about freedom, only not like you think. It taught me how easy it is to lose your freedom. If you think meth is taking control of you, ask for help. You have the power to be truly free. I know. I'm Jan, and I'm free from meth. If you or someone you know is struggling with meth, call 1-800-662-HELP for 24-hour free and confidential treatment referral. Learn more at samhsa.gov meth. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaska Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. 
Welcome back to the second half of today's edition of American Indian and Alaska Native Living. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose, my guest today, Lucia Tiffany. Lucia has been talking with us about, well, some things that I just find amazing. Hopefully, you are finding it amazing as well. Ways to make it more likely that you will be successful when it comes to developing those good habits that you are eyeing as far as your future lifestyle. Lucia, there are folks that perhaps are just joining us, others that say, wow, this show is great, but I wish there were more. You have got a wealth of resources on the Internet. Tell us a little bit about how folks can tap into those free resources. Okay. kind of have two kinds of um, resources I want to make available to you today. The first one is more information around making good habits. I call them habits that stick. You can get my free handout about habits that stick by going to tinyurl.com forward slash habits, the number four, me. That's tinyurl.com forward slash habits, the number four, me. That's where you can sign up for my free gift around habits and how to build good ones. The second resource is my website around whole plant-based foods. It has recipes. You can find motivation and inspiration for transitioning to a healthier plate. And you'll find all of that at theharvestcook.com. I'll say that again. Theharvestcook.com. In the store there, you will find um, that my cookbooks are available there, as well as other resources that are prepared to help people in their journey to better eating. So those are two resources that I want to make sure you have the opportunity to check out today. Tremendous, Lucia. So I think theharvestcook.com, that's straightforward. People say, well, it sounds like a you know a typical website, and I'm looking forward. Uh, maybe they're saying to getting some more of Lucia's insights. If they weren't with us from the top of the hour, you were someone with many years of experience. Even if you were only in your 30s, you'd have many years of experience because you mentioned you started doing cooking classes when you were, what, eight or 10 years of age. So that is tremendous, theharvestcook.com. And I know you're a little bit older than 30, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, okay. (laughs) I didn't want uh, folks to think you didn't have a lot of experience in this arena. I can actually say I've had more than 50 years of experience working in this area. (laughs) Wow, wow. Well, then the other website, that one, I think folks struggle with that more. It's actually, so I can just type in the browser tiny, T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com, and then put a slash in habits for, the number four, me. And that will take me to your website. Yes, it'll give you the opportunity to sign up for my free gift. It's not my website, but that's where you can get my Uh, free gift because I'll know where to send it. Okay, okay. So basically, that's a registration site. If I jump on there, I can get the habits that stick. Have I got the title of the handout right? You do. Okay, okay. So, Lucia, tell us a little bit more because I know when we stepped away for the last break, you and I had been talking about this concept of ego depletion. We've been talking about how people can maximize their reserves, if you will, by developing good habits. Help me understand something. I've also heard people talk about something that they refer to as decision fatigue 
Is that the same as ego depletion or is that something different? It's a kind of ego depletion. You can deplete your ego in different ways. This is one way to do it. And there was just a fascinating experiment that illustrates this point. They took college students and divided them into two groups, put them in different rooms, and one group sat at a table that had a bowl of radishes and a bowl of chocolates. The second group was in a room. They sat at a table, had a bowl of radishes and a bowl of chocolates. So far, everything is the same. Mm -hmm. But then they gave different instructions to each group. The first group was told that they could only eat the radishes. The bowl of chocolates was on the table, but they were not allowed to eat them. The second group was just told that they could help themselves to whatever they wanted. So the difference was the instructions they were given. And so they let them sit in this room with the bowls of radishes and chocolates for about 20, 30 minutes. Then they took them to what the students thought was a completely unrelated experiment. The second part of what was actually all one experiment was that they gave them a puzzle to solve. Problem being that this puzzle wasn't actually solvable. So what they wanted to do was measure how long they would try to solve it before they gave up. This is a kind of a standard measurement of willpower. And they use it in the context of many different kinds of experiments. But they took these two groups and then gave them this unsolvable puzzle. Which group do you think worked on the puzzle the longest? The ones that had been told not to eat chocolates or the ones that had been told they could eat whatever they wanted? You've got me stumped. Tell us the answer. Okay. It turns out that the group that could only eat radishes had used up a lot of their willpower saying no to the chocolates and gave up on the puzzle after just a minute or two. Whereas the second group that had freely been able to eat radishes or chocolates, whatever they wanted, had not expended all that willpower and they stuck with the puzzle for much longer than the first group. So I found that that was a very interesting example of how it affects our ability to problem solve. And for me, one of those big takeaways from that experiment was understanding that this is the effect that they call decision fatigue. And it means that the end of the day is not the best time to make big, important decisions. For example, and I got to thinking about this because there are certain decisions that I think a lot of times get made late in the day. Mm -hmm. And two of those are whether to get married and whether to get divorced. Why do you say those are made late in the day? Well, a lot of proposals are often after like a nice evening meal. They're like late in the day. I don't know a lot of people that propose at sunrise, even though I know it does happen. But just thinking about some, a lot of times it's about around some kind of an evening activity, party, special time, end of a really nice day. And here comes the proposal. Or it can be at the end of the day when everybody's super grumpy, irritable, and it's like, okay, I'm getting a divorce. So sometimes those are like big life-changing decisions. I want you to be aware that late at night's not a good time to make those decisions. So this old dictum of sleeping on a decision, you're saying there's some uh, rationale for that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Things look different in the morning, and you're much more able to make a good choice. Okay, so we've got this idea of decision fatigue. The more decisions you make during the day, harder it is to 
make decisions, especially later in the day. What about these folks, uh, Lucia? They've been listening to us. They say, okay, I, I got these things, but come back to, to some of these illustrations. We're talking about people who want to make real lifestyle changes. They say, okay, well, I've made the decision. I know what I want to do, but why can't I do it? What other pointers do you have for folks who are struggling with really developing those new habits? Yes. Um, I think it's really important to know that we actually have ways to conserve willpower. And one of those ways is by actually starting to practice it. Because you see, willpower is very much like a muscle. The more we exercise it, the better we get at it. So we actually can increase our willpower by practicing it. They did some very interesting studies where they found that when someone really focused on doing something consistently in one area of their life, that the self-control necessary for that actually bled over into other areas. In other words, when someone determined that they were, for example, going to take a 20-minute walk every morning, they found that they were also better at doing some other things that they wanted to do. Mm. So I thought that was really interesting because it means that we actually have the opportunity to increase the amount of willpower that's available to us. So there's this interesting concept, Lucia. Sometimes people, when they're talking about behavior change, they say, pick something out to change that you have confidence that you can do, something that the the bar is not too high. Is that building on this concept where people then can have that bleed over into other habits that might be more difficult to tackle? I think that's definitely related. You know, in, in the challenge coming up, I'm going to be really diving into that whole habit formation part that we don't have time for today about the real important steps for implementing a habit in a way that makes it sustainable. It builds on what we're talking about today, but there's some other things as well that help us in that building new habits. When it comes to the willpower bit, though, another way we can exercise our choice in a way that helps to conserve our willpower, enables us to be more successful where we need it, is something called pre-commitment. Hmm. An example would be, if you know that you're going to a party and, you know, the holidays are here, uh, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and we know there's a lot of unhealthy food available, if you decide ahead of time what you're going to do when you're faced with those choices, it improves your chances of making a better choice in what you eat. For example, you could say, I am not going to go over to the dessert table. I will focus on the vegetable platter. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I'll only have a single half serving of something sweet. That would be an example of a pre-commitment. This is very practical. So the idea of making the decision before you're in the heat of the decision-making context, right? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I'm a Christian. And as I think about some Bible stories, one that really comes to my mind in this context is a story about Daniel and his young friends. And they were offered very unhealthy food from the king's table. But according to the Bible, it says that he had purposed in his heart. That's a form of pre-commitment. He had made mm. up his mind ahead of time that he wasn't going to partake of these foods that wouldn't support his best health. 
And so I, I think that this is not a new concept. This is a very ancient concept, but one that is very true today. Now, Lucia, you and I have talked about something off air. You just mentioned it in passing a few minutes ago about a challenge. So uh, folks that have been engaged with this topic, wanting to make healthy lifestyle changes, tell us where this challenge is going and when it's going to take place. Give us some details. Okay, it's going to be the first week of December. If you go over and sign up for my free resource today, you will get an announcement. You will get an email from me that lets you know more details about that, like when it starts, what we're doing every day, all of that sort of thing. So we're talking about December of 2022, the year 2022, the first week you're going to be launching this challenge. Have I got that right? Yeah, the first full week. And if someone wants more information, the best way to get it is simply to request your free handout. And give us one more time that somewhat difficult website for your host to get down. Please help us. Tiny, T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com slash habits for me. And it's habits, the number for me. Okay. We've got to step away just briefly. We're going to be coming back with uh, Lucia Tiffany. She's sharing with us some very practical, life-changing strategies that can make a difference for you. I'm Dr. DeRose. Don't go away. Our final segment is coming up right after these important messages. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov slash plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov slash plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. I'm just texting him back. I'm just posting a story. I'm just changing the song. I'm just... No. When it comes to distracted driving, just don't. Sending a text takes your eyes off the road for just five seconds, but in that time, your car can travel the length of an entire football field. Any distracted driving just isn't worth it. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. What is a number story? My number story started with fear and a lack of support, and it has led me to be there for others. A number story begins in our childhood with ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences. My number story begins with the separation from my father and the emotional abandonment from my mother and leads to me being a role model to not only myself, but those around me by becoming the person that wasn't there for me. ACEs are so common, two-thirds of us have one. My number story begins with drug abuse and homelessness and leads to realizing that I can live life by my own standards. A study found the more ACEs, the more likely we may experience a host of serious health effects, physical and mental, but that doesn't need to be the case. Your ACE number is simply an entry point to your own story. Where it leads is up to you. My number story begins with years of emotional abuse and leads to peace, clarity, and security in my self-worth. Take control of where your number story leads at numberstory.org.
You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian and Alaskan Native Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back for our final segment with Dr. David DeRose and with Lucia Tiffany. Lucia is a registered nurse. She has her master's degree in public health. She is a trainer, a coach. She's a cook. She is the author of cookbooks. She's the formulator of master classes. Lucia, we are just so glad with all that you do that you squeezed time in for us on American Indian and Alaska Native Living today. So thank you so very much for joining us. Oh, it's just been really fun to be here today and share things that can help us to be so much more successful as we try to make changes to grow, to uplevel our health. Now, we do have some time in this final segment where we want to to nail down some other things about behaviors, health behaviors especially. One of the things, Lucia, that I think everyone's heard, I mean, I heard this growing up as a kid, but this idea that practice makes perfect. Um, You know, the flip side of it is if you're practicing something wrong, that is going to uh, make you far from perfect. So help us to sort that out. What's, What's the truth and where are the pitfalls in that statement? I love that. Actually, as we exercise willpower, it allows willpower to grow. We said that just before the break. And I'd like us, if we're parents or grandparents, to think about how important that is for children, because we actually find that children can start to practice willpower quite young. They're given the opportunity to make choices. And so we want to encourage our young people to be making good choices as early as possible because and one of the ways we can do that is by encouraging them to do the hard things Hmm. because in life if all we do is always gravitate to the easy things we are not going to make the kind of progress in life much less health that we really want for ourselves and you know, I think that's something that's kind of counter-cultural in our society today, the doing the hard thing, because exercising self-control, self-discipline, isn't an easy thing. Like we've talked about, it requires energy, it requires brain energy, it requires intentionality and choice. But there are ways to do this that help us to work with the way our brain is designed to work. And that's something we will dive into in the challenge about habits. We're going to be talking about levels of habit change and then how we actually get to think around the formation of habits that will help us to be more successful. But that habit formation is really important because as we build habits, it economizes willpower. And that's one of the most powerful ways that we have to make our willpower go farther and have it available when it's really needed. So if I'm to uh, distill this, Lucia, what I hear you saying is, first of all, don't be afraid to tackle some difficult things. It may be important in our childhood, but some of us, uh, well, whether we had that experience as uh, younger individuals or not, we can still develop new habits, and those challenging habits have derivative benefits. It's not just the benefit we get from that habit, but it spills over, it economizes our willpower, and uh, hopefully it's building our confidence too, right, that we can make decisions and follow through with them. And, you know, there's um, a, a little, I don't know what you call it. I think they call it a challenge. It's, it's free, but it's something called hashtag 75 hard. I don't know if you've heard of that. 
But the whole idea behind this exercise is that you do six habits consistently for 75 days. Because they find if you do it for 75 days, that it actually builds discipline and self-control muscle for you that will apply to all these other areas of your life. And so it's something that even like um, high-performance executives do, uh, people that know they have to be at the top of the, their game. This is one of the tools that they can use. And it's interesting, the habits are actually very simple. They're things like drinking a certain amount of water every day, making healthy choices, um, you know, reading 10 pages in a physical book every day. And none of these things in and of themselves are like the magic bullet, but it's the consistency of doing it 75 days in a row with no break. I actually did this uh, about a year ago, and I found, like many people do, that I had to start it more than once, because if you miss a day or you miss one item in a day, you get to restart counting your 75 days again. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I, I think I got in about nine or 10 days and missed something. Oh, part of it is you do two workouts a day. So mm. like, and one of them at least has to be outside, no matter what the weather. And so... I ended up, though, successfully completing 75 days in a row. And it was very interesting to me to see what that did for me. It was a difficult time. We were evacuated due to wildfires here in California twice during that period, which is very upsetting to a routine. Mm -hmm. uh, the evacuation involved taking both of my parents that were in their 90s, uh, packing them up, getting them out of the house, and our neighbor, who's about 90, um, getting this whole caravan out of the fire danger area to a hotel about 50 miles away and being dislocated from home for four to 14 days, depending on which evacuation it was. And to be able to consi keep consistently through that whole time with these particular habits actually did bleed over into other areas of my life. I found that mm. it was easier, for example, to be consistent in my bedtime or to be consistent around food choices or, you know, other things. I was obviously being consistent around exercise because that was part of the challenge. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's just kind of an example of how as we build consistency through good habits or consistent behaviors for an extended period of time, we can build this muscle. And this is something anybody can do. This is not reserved for those with higher education. Um, that are under 20 or any of these other things we might think about. So I think it's something that's accessible to all of us, no matter our age, our station in life, we can all grow in this area and reap the benefits. Now, Lucia, you have got your own challenge that's going to be taking place the first full week of December in the year 2022. Tell us a little bit about uh, if someone missed that earlier in the show, how they could jump on and be a part of that. Okay. You just need to get signed up so that I know that you're interested and I will be also sending you a little free gift around what we've talked about with Dr. DeRose today, looking at willpower and ways to enhance it and how habits help you with that. So just go to this website and all you have to type into your browser at the little URL address at the top of your screen is the word tiny, T-I-N-Y, U. R L that's U as an umbrella, R as in rainbow, L as in lovely dot com. Throw a slash in there, and then it's habits the number four me. Habits the number four me and me. That's all. And when you go there, just give you an opportunity to give me your name and your email address so I know where to send your free gift. Great, Lucia. That will mean you're in the loop to get the announcement about the challenge. 
great, Lucia. So, folks, if you want to take part in this uh, healthy habit, healthy lifestyle challenge, am I articulating it correctly? I think you had a little bit uh, slicker way to describe it. I call it habits that stick. Okay, habits that stick. So it wasn't slicker. It was stickier. Okay. That's right. <laughs> habits that stick because we don't want them to slide off of us. Great. Lucia, our time has just about slipped away from us, but I know there's folks that they've heard the website, they've heard about what you do, and as they've listened to this, maybe they've been thinking about some things in their own lifestyle that they've needed to address. Maybe it has to do with dietary choices. Maybe it has to do with their weight or exercise habits. Maybe it has to do with something else that's not really in the typical realm of health. You mentioned some things, uh, reading, uh, some other habits that people may want to develop. Maybe they're trying to learn a foreign language. Maybe they're trying to learn their indigenous language, their native. And they said, I never grew up speaking Navajo. I'm trying to learn Navajo now. What kind of words of counsel do you have for someone who's, they've tuned in, they've heard these things. Maybe they need just a little bit of a push to uh, take the next step. What would that be? You know, I just think it's very important to understand how powerful your choice is. In other words, don't waffle around the decision. If this is something you really want to do, make that a solid choice. And some of the ways you could make a solid choice are to not just keep it to yourself, but write it down. Maybe write it really big on a huge poster that you put on the wall in your room or in your office or someplace where you're going to see it every day. Maybe your bathroom mirror. And don't just write it out and put it where you can see it. But share that with other people, share it with your family, share it with your friends, say this is a decision I've made. As you do that, you're building an accountability group that can help you to stay accountable to your decision. And we know that when you share a decision publicly, you are more likely to stick with it. So I think that would be a great place to start. And if you want to move forward faster, quicker, come join me in the challenge. It's come December. I love that messaging. So many people are, well, they're afraid that they're going to fail again, and so they don't want to tell anyone about those lifestyle changes. But getting the word out is actually going to increase your likelihood of success. Lucia, Tiffany, you have been a great guest. You've got a general website. If people don't remember anything else, give us that one more time before we have to say goodbye. Theharvestcook.com Because you're going to learn how to cook the harvest you grow or buy. So theharvestcook.com Thank you, Lucia. If you're wondering about how to get the free handout, if you didn't get that other website, if you want to sign up for her program, go to theharvestcook.com. You'll find information there. Thank you so much, Lucia, for joining us, and thank you for everyone who's joined us on today's edition of the show. As always, I'm Dr. David DeRose wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One. The Native American Radio Network.